The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen. It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 183, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, been a while, bud. How you doing? Everything is delicious, Michael. <laughs> thank you for asking. No, we've fully made it to the off season. I hate everything we're talking about. <laughs> I want it all to be over. It's never going to be over because it's never going to be a season. It's just going to be off season for the next 18 months. And then no one will ever hear from me again because I will be retreating to the wilds where nobody can ask me off-season questions which this entire podcast is off-season questions so not great but it's fine right yeah today we're going to be going through each position on the offense and figuring out or debating who in the nfc east is the best player at those positions i did an article for bgn recently that covered this it was well received by literally everybody nobody got mad which was incredible uh, next show, we'll cover the defensive side of the ball, and that'll be accompanied by an article as well. Uh, so again, best NFC East players at each position is the meat and potatoes. But before before we get into that, I did want to touch on something with Carson Wentz, and maybe we'll ease our way into the eventual debate with this. So I know in the immediate aftermath of the Jalen Hurts pick, we had touched on the notion that the shadow of Nick Foles was finally gone, and we had said before that the further you got away from Foles, the more likely it is that Wentz is able to win over that locker room and thrive. And and yeah, that's kind of what happened by the end of the season with those last four weeks. So last four weeks, as we said, we said before, and I said it in the article, what Carson Wentz did was extremely impressive from a leadership perspective, putting the team on his back, playing good football with a taped together group around him. It's his team now, right? We can officially move on from the Foles thing. Great. And then they draft Jalen Hurts 53rd overall. And we're like, we just got over this Foles thing. And now how he throws this at him. And I remember being baffled by that. Now, I want to make it clear. I'm not a big fan of the pick. I'm still not. I understand the logic kind of behind it, I hope. But 
I, I'm, I'm still just not on board with it. But I think one aspect of it where I've shifted is that this selection somehow undermines what Carson Wentz has done to make it his team. So we're all watching this 10-part documentary about Michael Jordan, right? About the entire world. I'm not. And I was thinking, <laughs> yes, you are. I haven't watched a single thing. You're insane. That's the only sports thing going on. So, I mean, like, You're I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for this and admitting this. I certainly watch it at some point. It seems extremely interesting. In no way do I watch and I go, that's not interesting. Um, and, and also, it seems like it's incredibly well produced. And I love things, like, yeah. for production value. I didn't grow up on Jordan. I grew up on my dad's stories of Jordan. Jordan is, is a mythical figure to me. There's like, people are like, oh my gosh, like this stuff being revealed. It would be my first time experiencing, experiencing any of this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and so it feels like I, I could very well be watching it, but I wouldn't be enjoying it the way that everybody else uh, has been, number one. And number two, I don't have the big push to to watch it like i never i didn't watch the eagles all or nothing on prime like this like the behind the scenes stuff doesn't really do much for me especially in a case where like i just do not have a strong emotional attachment to michael jordan the basketball player i know him as michael jordan the wash dude who owns the Charlotte hornets you know what i mean like (laughs) obviously whatever so like the, the the player to me who like represents the era of basketball i was a kid in was kobe you know what i mean Right, and like, right, right. I, and obviously, you know, Kobe and his passing away was, and, and like, you know, everything that, that went into that was, was difficult and was hard to deal with. And it is, you know, like whenever something comes out about Kobe in my adulthood on his life and his legacy, I will watch that and I will gobble that to death because that's, that's my generation of a basketball star was Kobe Bryant. So maybe I'll frame this in a way and add a name so you can kind of understand where I'm going with this. I think the rest of the world understands I, I so i was i was thinking what would michael jordan and let's say tom brady and so on what would they do if the equivalent of jalen hurts got drafted to be their backup like if Wentz is going to be a truly great quarterback doesn't he need like that petty competitive part in his psyche that says okay you no. drafted a guy i'm going to make sure that nobody ever speaks of his name in relation to my job. I've always been quarterback one. You wasted a pick, and now I'm going to show you why. So, like, in my opinion, this idea that, like, Wentz should be coddled or not challenged, I think it's wrong, and I think the Eagles have coddled Wentz too much. And if Wentz is the type that has to be coddled or can't be challenged, then that's its own problem that has nothing to do with Hurts. So that's not, like, the mental makeup of a champion. And it sounds cliché. But if, if he can't handle the Eagles drafting Hurts and that leads to leadership problems in the locker room, how is he going to handle other pressures like that, like the NFL playoffs, for example? So that that's my little aside before we get into the NFC East quarterbacks. But I know you were not loving the idea of bringing in Hurts and that leadership aspect was one of those gripes at the time. Are you still there with it or are you mainly just not on board for other reasons? Um, yeah, no, I, I disagree with your take. How can you not be able to deal with your team drafting Jalen Hurts, shouldn't you have to be able to deal with that and be okay with that and rise to that challenge in order to rise to the challenge of the NFL playoffs, as you said? No, I'm, I'm saying I'm saying pressure, like I'm saying pressure situations like right. the playoffs are really just bringing in any quality backup whatsoever. You're telling me that that's not important for for once to be able to like well, overcome no, I think, and like 
I think that fundamental to playing in the NFL is understanding that it's a business, that it stands for not for long, right? And that's why, like, yeah. you know, you, you see that in a lot of these college programs when they prepare their five-star recruits and their, their top players and their NFL draft prospects, they really want to impress upon them. When you make it to the league, you will not have made it. You know what I mean? Like we, we, we put things in the framework of you've made it, but like, you know, that can change and that can turn around so quickly. So you have to be ready to compete for your starting job. You have to understand that, you know, you're not going to make it to the top and then just ride there. Like, it's an extremely competitive business. So, yeah, I, I do agree that you have to mentally, especially as a quarterback, prepare for the reality of life getting worse like that for you. Mm. And that can come in the form of competition. That can come in the form of what happened last year, which is your entire offense starts falling apart at the seams around you in terms right. of injury. Um, yeah. You know, drama among coaching staff, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, like Sam Darnold had to be prepared for the fact that he might end up on a team that would not have any idea how to build around him. And you'd have to <laughs> right. mentally withstand that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Lamar Jackson had to mentally prepare for the fact that he was going to be extremely doubted and 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 questioned because of his play style and because of his recruiting and because of his, his racial background you know what i mean like all these players got to prepare for the different pressures of being massively in the national scope and, and, and the attention that they get and the limits on that you shouldn't like i don't think it's conditional to being a good quarterback to be good at handling a situation like this and, and what i'll what i'll say there is like I strongly believe that you can't hand the locker room to Wentz. I agree with that. It shouldn't be the case of like, we, we can't do anything that questions Wentz as a leader. When that was that whole, like the Eagles want to move on from Malcolm to make sure Carson's a louder voice. I, you yes. know, I, I, I called BS on that immediately. If that's true, that's ridiculous. Make it it's a better football team. We had the same conversation with the wide receivers. We should be able to, the Eagles should be able to bring in veteran yeah. wide receivers and not have to worry right. about, is this going to mesh with Wentz? If your quarterback's personality, demeanor, or leadership style is prohibitive to team building, you've got yourself a big problem. And that's right. true of, of whoever your your leader is, right? And that goes into the whole like Malcolm Jenkins, Eric Reed thing a little bit, right? Where like, yeah. oh, do the Eagles want to sign Eric Reed and they couldn't because Malcolm and Eric Reed don't get along, right? Like, so like you have personal relationships like that, obviously. So there's always that that goes on but as a general catch-all blanket statement that doesn't apply in some specific cases none of your leaders personality demeanors or play or, or leadership style should be prohibitive to you adding talent okay while it is true that you can't just hand a locker room to Wentz and you shouldn't just move players around so that he's the leader there you we, we should not expect that every individual is totally robotically okay with Michael Jordan and Tom Brady degrees in competitiveness with his team taking at 53 a player who does not help them win in the immediate time frame by supporting Carson, but rather prepares for a life in the future without Carson, whether that's short-term injury or long-term replacement, injury, improvement, trading, whatever, right? That was not a pro-Carson pick. That pick does not help Carson. Carson should not be thrilled about that. The same way yeah, Rodgers no, should, should not be thrilled about Love and should not be thrilled about Dylan and should not be thrilled about Deguara. And in the same way... They should way, be pissed. Right. And in the same way that, like, you know, Damian Wilson should not be thrilled about the Clyde edwards Alaire pick. Nobody... Like, we, you know, we want our, our players to be good football robots who fall in line, but they aren't and they shouldn't be. And that's how they protect themselves 
in terms of like their earning potential, right? And like that's when you get into like contract disputes and demanding trades. You know what I mean? Like if Yannick Ngakwe was a good football robot, he'd just be showing up in Jacksonville with a contract <laughs> that's less than what he deserves for a team that's not going to be competitive. And he's not doing that because he's a good young player who deserves more money and wants to win and has power in this situation. So to me, sure. If Carson had a Michael Jordan or Tom Brady mindset, firstly, he'd be a completely different person. This is a little like, oh, no, my, little, my little kid, you know, don't, like I love children. Like, he's, you know, he's like a new dad. He's a nerd. Like, he's a goober. You know what I mean? He's like a little hunting nerd boy. Like, it's just Carson. You know what I mean? Like, he's definitely not like type A leadership, 100 hours in the gym sort of a dude. That's completely okay. You know what I mean? Like, that's 100% totally fine. It is not prohibited to him being an extremely good football player him being a leader him being a super bowl champion there's no reason to, to personality type him into this just common and robotic paradigm of like what jordan and what brady were as competitors to me like that's just you're just you're just asking for trouble if you do that yeah i'm not i'm not saying he has to be them exactly but i am saying it would be nice if he were able to put that chip on his shoulder and use that as a motivator to come out in 2020 and show the world, like, you don't need to talk about Jalen Hurts. I've got this. You don't have to be, like, a psycho like Tom Brady to be breaking, like, ping pong paddles and right. stuff like that to be able to do that. So that that's kind of my point with it. He should come out and use this as a motivator. And to think that this is going to be a detriment to him, I think that's wrong is basically what I'm saying. Yeah, anyway. I, don't, I don't think that – I think that Hurts is one of the most – inspiring and coolest dudes ever i look at yeah. jalen hurts and i just get excited i saw the jalen hurts pick number two and i literally was on fanatics finding a jalen hurts jersey a moment later i had to calm <laughs> myself down and be like you literally cannot impulse you're just bored during quarantine make a better decision <laughs> right so like i i love him i certainly think there will be people in the like in the locker room who like hurts more than Wentz. Yeah. absolutely in the same way there are people in the locker room who like tj edwards more than deshaun hall right like this is you like other people more than other people now but you know which but but you know what you like the most what? for a football player winning right yeah so at the, at the end of the day is carson's let's say the eagles took christian fulton at 53 okay yeah. the biggest thing for carson coming into this season would be again to play 17 games and to show that he can have a more uh, aggressive downfield vertical passing style. He can imp improve his depth of target, lengthen that time to throw a little bit, make some better decisions when he's extending plays and work with very quickly, a new young receiving core with some speed to make more explosive plays in the passing game. And that was, that was his job to improve. It was make sure you stay healthy, make some better decisions when you're holding onto the football and let's get a deeper passing game going. Let's use some of this speed. Yeah. That was if the Eagles took Fulton at 53, they took Hertz 53. Carson's main impetus upcoming in the season, Mike, is to make sure he stays healthy, is to work quickly with new young weapons. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's just there's now this storyline behind him, which obviously, like, that increases pressure. There's no doubt about that. I just, to me, like, there's no particular response I need to see from Carson to the Jalen Hurts pick where I'll be like, yes, good. This is quarterback boy. This is big compete. I am so proud. Go energy. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, just, just, you played well last season. Just continue to play well. And don't be hurt. Yeah. That's all. I disagree. I like to see him come out with a little bit of fire. That's all. I mean, it would be cool. I just do not expect it of him. <laughs> so in the article for BGN, when it came to came down to projecting the best quarterback in the East, we'll get into the main topic here for 2020. So if you missed it, I doubt you did. I picked Dak Prescott of the Cowboys. 
the reasons are straightforward. I thought Dak was the better quarterback in 2019. Thought it was close. I mean, he led the second-ranked DVOA offense. And for a really solid chunk of the season, he was on the fringes of the MVP discussion if you were going for the, you know, by the statistical output. So you have to twist the context so hard and for so much to say that Wentz had the better season to the point where I think if you're making the case for Wentz, you still have to say, look, I know literally every major statistical and analytical factor favors Dak, but because of A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way to Z, here's why it doesn't matter. And there are some good reasons why why the Eagles supporting cast failed Wentz. I get that. But it's not enough to move the needle all the way for me. And it's mostly due to the middle portion of the season where we saw Wentz look like a shell of himself for a few really bad games. So projecting forward, the Cowboys add CeeDee Land to the offense. Offensive coordinator Kellen Moore is retained, which honestly is like a huge factor for me for their continued success because I think he's excellent. And when you look at the Eagles, it's it's the third cycle of weapons for Wentz. It's the third different offensive coaching staff under Doug Peterson, who you know I love Doug. But due to either the lack of support system or other factors in play with the roster or injuries, he has not been able to duplicate the success he had when Frank Reich and Flip were on the staff back in 2017. We don't know how all of these new pieces mesh with the offense. We don't know how these new coaching staff additions, and we can talk about that in a little bit, including wide receiver coach Aaron Moorhead, who we talked about having a monumental task ahead of him on the last show. We don't know how valuable those coaching additions will prove to be. So when you take all that in, I'm in line with the Vegas odds and I have Dak with the edge going into 2020. But when you look at it overall, and I guess I'll set this up to you and, and, and set up a framework to kind of build it around the way you probably want to have this, this discussion, Ben, if I know you at all. 2016, Dak clearly had the better season of the three quarterbacks. Yeah, this is what I was going to talk with you about. Yes, this. Yeah. right. Yeah. So 2016, Dak, those three quarterbacks that were selected, Derek Goff, Wentz, Dak. Dak had the best season. 2017 was Wentz. 2018, it was Goff. It was it was hearsay right. to say it wasn't Goff. So here's so here's the thing. Throw Goff out. Who was better in 2018, Prescott or Wentz? Because I'm working on a big Prescott v. Wentz conversation piece for BGN. Yeah. And 2018 is not clear. It's a push. Like on it. Like I, I I would have a hard time calling it the the kind of the the way I kind of look at it. If you look at 2017 and 2018 together, I think it's I think it's clearly Wentz. But two, 2017 was such a big you know gap between Wentz and Dak that that's kind of why that is. 2018, they're they're kind of equal. Would, would you yeah. agree with that? 2018, Wentz was worse than he was in 2017. Right. Prescott was better than he was in 2017. So it feels like Dak. But like film, from what I've seen, film wise, not done with film. And number-wise, they're generally equivalent. Right, I agree. Right? Yeah. Now, the best season between Prescott, Wentz, and Goff was Wentz 2017. Right. I don't think you can argue it. I agree. You it, it maybe can argue 2018 Goff, but I really don't think you can. Because even like even like at the time, I don't think you could have argued it. And then especially knowing what we know now about Goff and that offense, I think it's even harder to argue it. Right, which you could say like, oh, well, Wentz offense got worse, which like it has, but I think a lot of that has to do with non-Wentz factors. So I think Wentz had the best season of everybody, 2017. I think that Prescott was definitely better in 2016. Wentz was definitely better in 2017. I really don't know in 2018, and then Dak was better in 2019. Right. So Prescott has had more seasons where he's been better. Prescott has also had a more traditional growth baseline? pattern. Yeah, 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 like yeah. Ba- baseline. I would 
I, w- I would hesitate to say baseline. Yeah. Because yeah. the thing about Carson is that like his bad games are definitely better than Dak's. I can tell you that with certainty. You said his bad games are better than Dak's bad games. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There are very few things in the Dak versus Wentz conversation that I feel comfortable saying with certainty because it's very difficult and very hard. But I can tell you that I think Wentz's bad games are better than Dak's bad games. Dak's bad games, he he snowballs. Yeah. Right? And Carson's really good at at not snowballing. He has some snowball games, but generally he's he's good at, at at gutting out and like, you know, fighting through and having good second halves and whatever. So I wouldn't say baseline, but Prescott like had a explosive rookie season. He had a sophomore slump and then he got better in 2018 and then he got better in 2019. Yeah. And there's reason to be extremely excited about Prescott in 2020. Carson had bad rookie year, extremely explosive 2017, injury riddled 2018, very confusing 2019, right? And like the Eagles weapons over 2019 only make it more muddled as to exactly what Carson is. Right. That's what I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Which like, you know, everybody who's like, it's Wentz over Prescott says like, well, Wentz's weapons in 2019 just like dis- disqualify the whole season. And you say, you can't say that. And then you watch them play, and you see right. it, and you're like, "Oh my god, maybe." Like you know, it's very difficult. How do you that? That's the problem. How do you quantify that right. much unknown, and then put it into projecting it forward? You know what I mean? Right. The thing about that, and this is where I start to get on my soapbox, is the <laughs> whole conversation should be Wentz's weapons were bad in 2019. He's a better player than it looked like in 2019. Finite. Like that. It should be it. Yeah. But we go. Wentz's weapons were bad in 2019. He's a better player than he was in 2019. He's actually better than Dak Prescott. And that's where you lose me. Right. Because right. I just can't, I don't know how to prove that. Right. Yeah. And like, and this is the thing, right? Like where I said, you know, I, I'm not interested in this conversation. And we've <laughs> no. said this to each other before. We just like this conversation. I hate it's it. fun, I guess. I think like this conversation would be fun if we didn't have to have it with a different two or three fans in our mentions once a week ever, uh, for the entire year. <laughs> right. And that's the thing is like, you know, like, oh, this is like, like, this is how, like how fans interface with the game. Sure. But like, it doesn't have to be, nor is it enjoyable for it to be so. Because yeah. at this point, we're just slamming our heads into each other with no intention of giving up any ground. You find me one Eagles fan who will be willing to change his mind of his Wentz over <laughs> Dak take and conversely a Cowboys fan who will be willing to change his mind Dak over Wentz and I will literally sit in a Zoom call with those people for hours and we will talk this out because I think that'd be extremely interesting. I don't think those people exist. Right. <laughs> you know, and that's fine, right? I'll tell you right now, when I sit down to do Wentz versus Dak, my first instinct in my little noggin is, okay, how do I convince everybody Wentz is better than Dak? And then I have to say, <laughs> no, bad, bad. Because the goal is not to do that. The goal is not to come in and say, right. with what evidence can I prove point A, B, and C? It's what is the evidence and which points do the, that does that evidence uh, uh, support? So accordingly, what's interesting to me is the evidence. What's interesting to me is Carson having a a shallower depth of target across the course of his career and why that's happened. What's interesting to me is Prescott's, you know, I I learned after I said, hey, I think Prescott's good outside of structure. I had multiple Eagles fans make PFF thinks he's the third worst quarterback outside of structure in the world. And to me, that's fascinating because I watched Prescott outside of structure. I'm like, this guy's great. So I don't know why that's happening, right? So I'm interested in the evidence and the process. And when I do that, I gain a good appreciation for Prescott's game. I gain a good appreciation for Wentz's game. I'm positive that they're both good quarterbacks. I'm positive they're both franchise quarterbacks. The only way 
who's better, Wentz or Prescott gets interesting to me is if either one ends up on the open market, hmm. which maybe Dak will be there next year. In which right. case, that's fucking nuts that he's there. <laughs> this right. is not like Kirk Cousins, man. It's a doggone good passer. Besides yeah. that, I mean, like, unless, you know, freaking Jerry's calling Howie, like, hey, I'll trade you a Dak and a seventh for Wentz, then we got to figure it out. But other than that, it's not an interesting conversation to me. Let's put it this way. Supporting cast, coaching, so on, with quarterbacks like Dak and Wentz, I guess I'll call it, like, the upper middle tier. With quarterbacks like that, they can have seasons that are top 10, even top five. These are talented guys. They can also have seasons that look more like top 15. If it's the situation around them is bad enough, it could be top 20, perhaps on the fringes of top 20. And what it comes down to is health, supporting cast, and coaching, and heck, maybe some luck, too. Right. I think that, like, I think that's a really good way of saying it is, like, who are quarterbacks in the league who have perennially top five seasons? Wilson. Mahomes. Right. And we should take players like Lamar and kind of put them off to the side and say, Maybe. sure, it's just you only done it once, so right. you can't say it perennially yet. It's a, sh- it's a short list. It, it goes back to, like, if I've said it once on this pod, I've said it a thousand times, the word elite implies very small. <laughs> like, there's not <laughs> many people. <laughs> you can't have more than three elite quarterbacks. There are only 32 starting quarterbacks. That's 10%. <laughs> so then you you step into the list of Potential top five season, but not perennially. And I think Prescott mm. and Wentz are both in that category. I think yeah. that at their stage in their careers, Brady and Rodgers are in that category. So we have a very different framework of player here. We have 26-year-old Prescott, who's fighting for his first big contract after being a fourth-round pick. And we have Aaron Rodgers and Brady, who are you know Super Bowl champions who've been doing this for 15-plus years, right? So if you take that framework, you're going to get different guys at different stages of their career, Another common framework to to put these guys into buckets, to put them into tiers, which is, I think, the preferable way to understand them, is to say, you know, top franchise quarterbacks. In which case, again, it's Mahomes and Wilson. Maybe Lamar. Maybe Kyler. Right? And then you get to the next tier, which is franchise quarterbacks who you can win a championship with. Not franchise quarterbacks who transcend your supporting cast, franchise quarterbacks who you are always guaranteed a Super Bowl shot with. Again, that's Mahomes and Wilson. But quarterbacks who, if you do it right, they can win a Super Bowl for you, which I would argue both Prescott and Wentz are in, right? And then, you know, again, you can make the argument with Brady and Rodgers, but that's where you start to talk about, are they franchise dudes for the next 10 years or are they stopgap options like Brady is? Where, like, you can maybe win a Super Bowl with him now, but you can't win a Super Bowl with him in five years. It's not going to be there in five years. Yeah. Why are you smirking at me? Because you're almost doing a Ben Baldwin thing here where you kind of forget about Drew Brees. I want to make sure that you don't omit him where you have no, Drew no, no, Brees. No, yeah, no. This, this is not <laughs> yeah. meant to be comprehensive at all. Yeah, I'm I got just you, using I got you. Yeah. these different players <laughs> as a framework. Yeah. Yeah. I was just laughing because we had that that discourse on Twitter the other day. Okay. So that's the discussion on uh, Dak Wentz, the NFC East uh, quarterbacks there. So when we come back. Thrilled that I got through it without actually giving an answer. That's sick. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think you did. I think you did. We all know. All right. So when we come back, we're going to deal with the rest position, rest of the positions in the NFC East. That's coming up next here on the Kiston Select Show. And we are back here on the Kiston Select Show, episode 183, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, bringing it to you. We are talking about the best player at each position in the NFC East. We're going offensive side of the ball. Next show, we'll do defensive side of the ball. And we can kind of run through a couple of these pretty, pretty quickly, I think. Let's go to, we already dealt with quarterback. Let's go to running back. Uh, Saquon Barkley, 
was my pick from the Giants. Do you have yes. any reason to argue Zeke, Sanders, any of these guys? Miles Sanders, baby. Saquon Barkley is the best running back in the NFL. Has been since pretty much like the fourth game of his career. Um, ridiculous yeah. human being. Film is absolutely nuts. Not a, not even a real person. He had an ankle sprain last year, and he came back in three weeks, and he wasn't as good for the rest of the season. And people were like, this means Christian McCaffrey is better. It does not. Mm. <laughs> it just means Barkley was unhealthy. Yeah. I think I, I think Barkley's the best back in the league. I think he's totally nuts. Uh, I think it's going to be really fun to watch him be healthy next year. Eagles, by the way, LaShawn, Carlos Hyde, who you want? You want Carlos Hyde? You like Carlos Hyde, right? A Carlos Hyde before LaShawn. Yeah, I like Hyde. Yeah. Devonta Freeman. Freeman, man, he's so banged up, but like I love him. I really want to love him. If right. he's if he's if he's like healthy and back and he can come to a backfield where he doesn't have to get I don't know, but he shared time with Tevin Coleman too, and he still yeah. got really banged up. Well that, here's my thing. Man. I'd like Freeman because I think Freeman's the most talented of the three. Yeah. And then also if Freeman gets hurt, maybe the Eagles are more willing to give a lot of touches to Miles Sanders, which I think would be positive for his development, right? <laughs> so, like, it's a little bit of a... I like that. I'm fine with it both ways, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love Freeman. I, I mean, I, I'd be on board. I disagree with Carlos Hyde over LaShawn, not for any football reason, <laughs> but because I think they're roughly equivalent at this stage of their career, and I just want LaShawn back. Yeah. You know, I got... I put me another jersey in the rotation, man. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I just... I have no emotional attachment to Carlos Hyde. <laughs> I like that. Let's go. Uh, in the past, I've done like X, Y, you know, receiver designations before. I don't think that matters. Let's go wide receiver one, wide receiver two, and then we'll do slot receiver as well. My wide receiver one was Amari Cooper from the Cowboys. I don't think you can argue that whatsoever. Right. Uh, and then wide receiver two. A it's bit an of interesting a, conversation. Yeah, a, a bit of a projection. I have Terry McLaurin from Washington. And look. 58 catches, 919 yards, seven touchdowns is extremely impressive for a guy that dealt with some really scattershot quarterback play and different quarterbacks coming in and out of there at Washington. I think he's going to be a stud. And if I'm projecting forward to 2020, it's hard to make the argument. Yeah, it's hard to make the argument for everybody else. I disagree. Who was your guy? Because I think there's one that I wanted to argue for. Sam McLaurin's stats again? He went 58, 919, and seven. Last year, Michael Gallup went 66. Yes. There you go. 1,107 and six. I think Gallup is extremely slept on, by this the way. This might be because I just watched, like, literally five bajillion Dak Prescott passing attempts. He's good. But young man can play some ball. You really yeah, can. Gallup is a physical dude. Yeah. He's he's like if Alshon was good still. No, he's, he's, he's fun, and he is the X like he's taking press. He's taking corner ones. That's yep. what lets Cooper move around. And then it's also going to, it's what's going to let CD lamb move around. Yep. Kill me. I agree because what I'm hearing is they're going to leave Gallup on the outside and then they're going to rotate yes. with lamb and Cooper in the slot, which I think is smart. Yes. And like Gallup can play anywhere. But the thing is that when you, when you draft guy in the third round and he's capable of playing the X for you, that allows you to do a lot of really cool stuff. Like oh, if you're, yeah. if you're wide receiver two, in terms of like the guy you're targeting is the X, that's really nice. Um, because now Cooper can, you know, like they, they could get Cooper against slot receivers and safeties. Right. And that's just unbelievable opportunity with his, his ability to run routes. Um, Gallup doesn't do much. He's not sexy. He's running four routes out there, but he's good at them. Yep. And he can win in contested situations. He adjusts nicely to the ball. So he's going to make quality out of those four outs. He's, 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 I would say he was a better deep threat for them last year than Cooper was off of the games that I watched. I have no numbers on that. So that, that might just be sample size. But um, 
and like he, he was more impressive working downfield routes and especially attacking the ball in the air than Cooper was. Um, so yeah. that was nice to see. I um, so yeah, I I like it's Gallup, McLaurin, and then you have to have Deshaun in there because Deshaun is an extremely good football player. We just have not seen him play in the NFC East for three years, two years, two years. For two years, yeah. you know, yeah, so he played sixty-five snaps last year, and that's why I didn't put him yeah. in the in the argument there. Yeah, right. But like, if uh, if you got how old is Deshaun? Thirty-two. He's thirty-three. He'll be turning thirty-four if I'm not mistaken during the season. Yeah, it's tricky. I don't know. I'm not sold that sophomore year Terry McLaurin is going to have a better season than a fully healthy Deshaun, even at thirty-four years old. Right. It's you tough. Know what I mean, yeah. yeah. I I, so, I would like to make that argument. I would like for Deshaun to be healthy so I could make right. that argument. But if you gun to your head, wide receiver two, is it Gallup for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say it's Gallup. Yeah, I won't argue that. Let's go to slot wide receiver. Is this kind of like by default golden golden tape for the Giants? Because I really think with Philadelphia, we talked about Dallas. They're going to do like slot by committee. And I think the Eagles are going to do a lot of the same. I think they're going to get a lot, a lot of slot reps for Deshaun Jackson, who ran 47.5% of his routes out of the slot in 2019. We don't know if that's just because of matchup or sample size or whatever, but like really who is the slot guy in the East that can challenge the reliability of Golden Tate, even if his production has taken a step down? Like I would argue Sterling Shepard, but he also dipped under 50% slot reps once Tate came into the building. So right. I don't know. McLaurin, I win. Oh, <laughs> big noggin right here. There you go. Moving. Gallup and then McLaurin. Moving Terry to the slot. <laughs> um, now, yeah, if we're talking... Uh, like a very rigid definition of slot receiver, it's Golden Tate. I will say that, like, if you're asking me to build my NFC receiving right. core, I'm absolutely grabbing McLaurin and putting him in the slot and leaving yes. Gallup and Cooper on the outside, which now just means instead of having Gallup, Cooper, and number 17 overall pick, CD Lamb, who can play <laughs> slot and outside, I just have a third round pick who is guaranteed at least baseline productive for the league, given what he did with Washington. So, yeah. like, which here's the thing so let's so the best nfc east receiving room we can make is like cooper gallup and terry mclaurin mm. would you take that group right now over cooper gallup and cd lamb i don't i don't know That's right the- so this, is, this is the problem right this is the issue that we have here with dallas's weapons is the fact that it just might be the pinnacle of the entire nfc east let alone right. the uh the a single team's weapons it's really exciting they got to get it right if they right. try to put too much on Lamb's play early in terms of like positional alignment and route distribution, like try to make him a little mini Cooper, <laughs> mini Cooper, uh, that's <laughs> that's not going to go well for them, I don't think. Um, but there's a lot of ways that I think if they, if they have a good route distribution, good onboarding process for Lamb in a weird year, then yeah, I mean they're going to have three of the five best receivers in the NFC East. Right, and this goes into the DAC projection to 2020. I mean, we're kind of making that case right there. All right, tight end Zach Ertz. I mean, there's there's no other challenge. Dallas Goddard, baby. Right, Uh, yeah. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. Who are the tight ends? Blake Jarwin, who I actually think Blake Jarwin's kind of like... Blake Jarwin's overrated. Again, this is is a... I watched a lot of Dallas film yesterday (laughs) take... Jarwin just runs fast in a straight line. I don't know what y'all want from me. He, yeah. he drops. He doesn't run routes. He's just fast and big. I respect it. He's not in the same stratosphere as, as Ertz, yeah. though. When they had Rico Gathers on that roster, you were like, oh, Rico Gathers is the big and fast guy. So Blake Jarwin <laughs> must be like the blocking route running guy. No, nope. they were just both big and fast. <laughs> um, but that, you know, like, it. listen, heavy play action. The Cowboys like to run it with tight ends in there a lot. So, you know, you get him open fairly easily. You know, it, I mean, it's Ertz. 
especially after that that really productive stint from 2017 to 2018 Ertz came back down to earth a little bit and I think you know it serves as a reminder to a lot of Eagles fans who are like oh it's him Kittle and Kelsey Uh, it's really Kittle and Kelsey and then we go to tier two and Ertz is the top of tier two like you know I'm not he's better than Hooper he's better than Ingram he's better than Waller you know for sure but I, I not in the same conversation as Kelsey and Kittle that's just a simple reality of it I agree left tackle not a whole lot of competition. Trent Williams is gone. We don't know what's going on with Jason Peters. And even, even if Peters came back, I don't think he's playing. At least that last year, I thought he played well, but not at the level of Tyron Smith, who also Tyron Smith still kind of dealing with the, the lingering back issues and has kind of taken a small step back in his play. But like there's yeah. zero competition at left tackle. Tyron Smith, my guy. You agree? Yeah, no. Tyron Smith is worse than he was. Tyron Smith was the greatest tackle in the league. So worse than the greatest tackle in the league is still better than most of the tackles in the league, you know, (laughs) like, and especially in a a conference, a division that just had Trent Williams and Jason Peters vacate. I mean, right. It's no hesitation. You want to talk about Nate Solder? No, no, Trent Williams. (laughs) Let's go. uh, And by the way, I, I didn't say this, but I put it in the article. No rookies are being considered for these top positions. I, I don't feel like dealing with the headache of projecting that. Left guard. Well, it's just they wouldn't be. You couldn't right. say with any certainty that, like, right. no, Andrew exactly. Thomas is better than Trent Williams. No, he's yeah. not. But people are, <laughs> are going to get time. mad, so you got to qualify yeah. that. Um, uh, Left guard. Th- this is where we'll probably fight a little bit. I, w- I made the case for Will Hernandez last year. I thought Will Hernandez had a bit of a slop, uh, sophomore slump, especially in the uh, as, a, as a run blocker where he was supposed to, like, really thrive. I still think his ceiling is the highest out of all the left guards in the in the East. But like Isaac Ciamalo outside of the game with Atlanta where Grady Jarrett just ate him up, I thought he was just a solid starter at left guard. And I appreciate that replacement level starting guard type play. I think it's pretty doggone reliable. Howie Roseman got a steal, by the way, with that contract. And that was a good bet for him. But you you would go Will Hernandez. Do you think Will Hernandez? First, let's start with this. Do you think Will Hernandez was better than Isaac Ciamalo in 2019? Yeah. Okay. Why? Yeah, I do. So Ciamalo is playing on a significantly better offensive line, and so his mistakes are are well. I guess you you could make an argument that his mistakes are more visible, but also he, yeah. his his mistakes are far more easily and quickly covered up by playing next to Jason Peters and Jason Kelsey. You know okay. what I mean? Whereas Will Hernandez, Will Hernandez loses a step. He's not getting recovered for by Nate Solder and John Jalapio, which I do not know if that's how Jalapio's last name is pronounced. It might be Jalapio, but like, I, always, I think it rhymes with tilapia. I don't know what you want from me. Um, <laughs> he, so, so firstly, he's got a lot more on his plate in terms of he has to be an elite guard. He has to be a quality guard without the same support. And that's the thing about you know, guards and, and and a lot of times when we talk about these players projecting the guard is you have a lot more support. You don't have the same responsibility as the center and then you don't have the, the island play of a tackle. That's typically a place you put players like Samalu, who Samalu came in and he played tackle at Oregon State. Maybe he's going to snap. He ends up at guard because that's where you can best hide his deficiencies. Yeah, that's number one. Number two is that that Samalu is fine. And I agree the contract is is productive for him. But he, I mean, he continues to have mental lapses and he continues to have technique lapses. And that's okay. The I, I said in the pre-show, I wanted to push back on you with this because like, so Sam Allo was the pick at 79, mm. right? They had no second rounder because the Carson Wentz trade. So it was Wentz at two and then 79. 
Eagles. I just say I'm auto. Good pick. Yes or no? Yeah. At yeah. 79, if you get right. a, at a replacement level starter, I, it's I, look at the look at the rest of the third rounders around him and tell me that's not a good pick. Relative oh, you mean Joe Tooney, who went one pick beforehand. Brother, brother. <laughs> I'm saying uh, on the whole, you can always pick like one guy, right? When we do these redrafts, I'm that's picking like the, thing. the interior offensive lineman who went closest to him. I'm not cherry picking. I don't know. I this is in a redraft, you can't go with the guy that went before him because he went before him, Ben. Okay. What about the guy after him? What's the what's what's oh, what's right after Clark? Him? Basically, Joe Tooney. Oh no, wait, uh, Adolphus Washington, then Austin Hooper. No, I mean Javon Hargrave went ten picks later. The Eagles gave him a lot more money than they gave Sam. I, I redrafted Javon Hargrave last year yeah. when I did it, and I'm so glad to have Hargrave. Yannick Ngakwe, Ken Biard. Okay, this was a pretty good third round as far as third rounds go. We got three Pro Bowlers on here. You're busting my balls here. <laughs> Historically, when you look at pick 79, well, you're no, not... I agree, right. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. <laughs> I was reflecting on this the other day where I was like, I think for the first time in his career, if you asked Eagles fans, was Sam Malo a good pick at 79, the consensus would be yes. Yeah. So congrats to Isaac. Congrats to the development. Good ups. He's not better than Will Hernandez. Okay. I mean, yeah. I, I think your points are fair because, like, when you watch the Eagles line and you watch, like, the pairings, like, even Goddard and Ertz working together as blockers is fantastic. Lane and, and Brooks working together is fantastic. Kelsey working with either guard. Like, they're getting some of the best help in the league when it comes to that. So I, I definitely get your point in that. Like, getting help from Kelsey is a lot different than getting help from Tilapia or whatever his name is. At center, speaking of which... Travis Frederick is out of the picture now and really didn't play all of that all that well last year. That's part of the reason, I guess, why he retired. He didn't think he could live up to the level of play that he was used to after coming back from that. I mean, that, that was just awful for him. But Jason Kelsey, head and shoulders, the best center in the East, right? Yes. Not a question. Greatest player of all time. Never retire. <laughs> please, please never yeah. Ever Don't retire. retire, especially for every year that the Eagles continue to be like, nah, no, 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 it's good. We got Sue Opeta. We're fine. Yeah. This is this is a quote from Bo Wolf. Kelsey played one, 100% of the team's snaps last year at 32 years old, by the way. And this is from Bo Wolf from The Athletic. He went through the arduous process of detailing week by week all of the ailments that was going that were, that were going on with Kelsey. He says, quote, Kelsey played either the most or second most regular season offensive snaps of any player in the NFL, depending on whether you count penalties. He did it with a bum hip, a bulky shoulder, an aching back, busted hands, and barking feet. And because enduring pain is such a fundamental job requirement of playing football for a living, Kelsey was listed on the Eagles injury report only once all season when he missed a Wednesday practice for personal reasons. In this case, the birth of his daughter, unquote. Just like ravaged by injuries the past two years, nagging stuff all around. The guy logs 100% of the team snaps. He's I just can't stunt. wait for Kelsey to retire so he can dad say Kelsey? things. What? Oh, I thought you were can't, can't wait for dad Kelsey on the internet. No, I'm, I can't. Okay. Yeah, I can't wait for Kelsey to retire so that he can start telling stories that he can't currently tell while he's employed by the Eagles. A lot <laughs> yes. like about like the Super Bowl season or whatever, but also so he can be like, oh, Kelsey, how was that 2019 season? He's like, that 2019 season fucking sucked, right? Like, you know, <laughs> like, things he, but like he clearly is like, you know, really gutting through it here at the end of his career. And like, he's going up against something difficult in terms of his love of his game and the limitations of his body, which a lot of veteran players go through, certainly offensive linemen as well, um, which I think will be just fascinating to hear about in general. Uh, kind of his process there, because he's such a, a uniquely genuine and unfiltered individual. But also, I just feel like he's going to be extremely entertaining once he's not beholden to a team. Yeah, 
and drunk, which is going to be dope. All right. Yeah. Right guard. I went with Brandon Brooks. And look, if you want to make the case for Zach Barton, I'm fully on board with you. I get you. I think outside of Philadelphia, Brandon Brooks is supremely slept on. Since four, four years he's been with the Eagles, he has averaged per season 0.75 sacks allowed per season and 18 pressures. That is phenomenal. He was, he was PFF's highest graded offensive lineman in 2019. Coming off an Achilles injury January 13th, where we all laughed when he said that he was going to be back for training camp, completely avoided the pup list coming back and ends up turning in one of the best seasons I can remember from an Eagles offensive lineman, which is saying a ton. Brooks is a stud. Zach Martin is a stud. These are two elite players. You can pick either one. If I didn't go with the left guard, right guard designation, I would have moved one of them the left guard. It really doesn't matter. These guys are awesome. But I went with Brooks. Are you going to make a case otherwise? Because, I mean, it's really like, what do you prefer? In Wentz versus Dak, we make extremely pointed and, and, and intentional efforts to ensure that we evaluate them fairly Yeah. without the lens of fans' goggles to understand them as players. In Brooks versus Martin, Brooks is the better player. I don't. I will hear nothing. <laughs> I don't care. Just screw it. <laughs> this is a right guard. No, Zach Martin and Brandon Brooks are the two best right guards in the league. Yeah. I mm, in twenty eighteen in twenty eighteen, if you had asked me that, I would have put Brandon Sheriff there. But in twenty nineteen, I'm not going to. I mean, not as good. So it's it's Martin and and, uh, and Brooks, and Brooks is better. I don't know. Like I like I maybe I will sit down and I'll watch. 100 Zach Martin snaps and 100 Brandon Brooks snaps and came away with an opinion. Zach Martin and Fletcher Cox is is one of the greatest battles of all time. Martin does a great job against Fletch. Brooks doesn't get to face Fletch. I, I think he would also do a great job against Fletch. He'd do even a better job against Fletch. Go Brooks. Right tackle Lane Johnson. Not sure there's any debate there. I mean, Lyle Collins is, I think, the only one that comes close, if I'm not mistaken, looking at the rest of the East. Lane Johnson's a stud. Man got paid. Love the heck out of him. Only allowed one sack last year. Guy's been the top right tackle in the in the East for a long time now. Nate, yep. okay. Yeah, so <laughs> just like, yeah, sure. The other right tackles are probably Andrew Thomas, rookie for the Giants. Right. Lyle Collins for the Cowboys. He was good. Is it Morgan Moses? Morgan Moses. Yeah. yeah. No, it's Lane. Yeah. I mean, like Lane's Lane, it's Lane and Mr. Schwartz for the best right tackle in the league. Not not a conversation. Eagles, we so we give the Eagles center, right guard, and right tackle. And even if you argue Martin over Brooks, you're not arguing it because Brooks is bad. You're just arguing it because these are literally the two best right guards. I didn't say Quinn Nelson. That's the player who was sticking in my head. There I was like, go. why? Why does that list seem short? Okay, so Nelson, Brooks, <laughs> Martin are the best three right guards yep. uh, in the league. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's the NFC East dream team. Uh, ben, any final words before we hit the old uh, dusty trail? You did. You sent me something. You did want to talk about something. Do we have time to fit it in, or do you want to save it for the sure, next? Sure. Yeah. So there was a there was a, a Philadelphia Inquirer, Jeff McClain, which shout out Jeff. The Eagles are looking to have more of a Kyle Shanahan inspired offense, which, as we very well know, they they brought on Rich Scangarello, uh, the ex offensive <laughs> coordinator for the Denver Broncos. You got to say it like that every time from now on. Scangarello. I feel yeah. like it's like it's like an onomatopoeia. Yeah. There's some something somewhere that makes a Scangarello sound. <laughs> anyway, it's like the, the call of an armadillo. Regardless, 
Scangarello. Uh, they brought in Marty Morningweg, who's got the uh, the Baltimore Ravens uh, running quarterback background. Scangarello, as I said, the offensive coordinator in Denver, was previously a passing game coordinator under Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. Um, so the quote is, I think that what we've done as a staff in the offseason with our scheme evaluation, making things better, the staff hires that I've done to bring in new thoughts and new ideas and ways to enhance our offense, I think our offense is going to look a little bit different, Peterson said via the Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, this, like, this, like I said, it's from a, a uh, it's actually from a Domo article. Excuse me, it's not Jeff McLean. I'm so sorry. Paul Domovich, shout out Domo, wrote about this. Uh, the changes in the offense for the Eagles. More San Francisco, more Shanahan eyes, uh, incorporate concepts from Kyle's offense. Offense is going to look a little bit different. The Eagles have a West Coast-based horizontal spread offense. Niners have a more traditional West Coast offense that's based on the outside zone run. I'm here to tell you, they get their receivers into generally similar concepts, Hmm. but in very different ways. If they're going to do Shanahan stuff, the Eagles are going to be under center a lot more. There's going to be a lot more play action. I have no idea who the fullback's going to be, but you need that if you're going to do full-on Shanahan stuff. You right. know what I mean? Like One of the first things that the, the Broncos did when uh, when they brought on Skang- Skangarello to be the, the offensive coordinator was they signed Andy, Andy Janovich. Janovich. Hmm. Janovich. Janovich. The fullback, right? Because they needed one of those to execute 21 personnel, to execute the full range of running concepts so the running games go totally different and then the play action pass game which is built off of that is like i said maybe some similar concepts on the west coast in terms of crossing patterns and 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 three level floods but like the the base horizontal spread the you know read front side the option routes that's all out, not out the window like he says to look a little bit different it's very difficult more moral story it's very difficult to marry what peterson has done thus far with what Shanahan does. Right, yeah. There's no way to, like, integrate those and be like, oh, well, we're already under center anyway. No, you're always shotgun. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the Eagles are very infrequently under under center, and when they are, it's single back. And you're not a full back. Yeah. So, I, 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 this seems a little bit innocuous, but it's not. I think it matters because, you know, Doug says that the offense could look a little bit different. Well, if they're serious about Shanahanizing things, it's going to look a lot different. Like, yeah. like it, it's going to, you know, Carson's going to have to take a seven step drops. He's never done that in his life. Mm. It's going to be, it's going to be really new. Um, So that's something that I'm more, in, I'm interested in continuing to dive into. So the Eagles were under center 28% of the time in 2019 per sports info solutions that ranked 24th. Yeah. That's about what I would have guessed is by, like bottom fourth of the league. Maybe one thing that changes that I hope changes is that they go from being seventh highest in plays that involve no motion is 69%. Perhaps that's something that, that comes up. Like, I would but like, like to see... Shanahan, Shanahan isn't even big motion boy. That's McVay. You're, no, you're, you're absolutely right. 31%. Yeah. Why don't you no, freaking no, no learn some football, Mike? Ranked 32nd. Either way, here, here's, here's yeah. what I'm saying. Overall, from the Eagles, I want to see more play action, which... Jimmy G was, if if I'm remembering this right, the second highest play action frequency quarterback in the NFL last year. Yeah, t- more play t- action. Right. Let the Bronco buck. More motion, and we'll see what they do with under center stuff. I don't know. Right, you're right. Like if you if if, if you wanted me to just buzzword the like you know the the Shanahan offense, it's like it's under center, twenty one personnel, wide zone, play action, seven step drop, two men in the concept, three men in the concept, crossing pattern, yak. And if you ask yep. me to buzzword the Eagles offense, it's 
shotgun, single back, varied running game, four man of the concept, five man of the concept, horizontal spread, ball out quick. I mean, the the the, <coughs> the percentage of throws in which the quarterback holds the ball scheme wise, scheduled wise, like I know I know SIS does this in terms of like the number of seven step drops or five step drops. Polar opposites. Yeah, I agree. Nobody in the league's doing more one step, three step than Philly, and nobody in the league's doing more five step, seven step than Shanahan. So you gotta you gotta explain this to me slow. Like it, yeah. it, it's easy to say, like, we're gonna incorporate Shanahan stuff. Brother, what stuff? Like <laughs> I don't like this that's why I say like this sounds innocuous. Like, of course they are. They signed Skang- they brought in Scangarello, they're going to incorporate things from Scangarello's background. I think that they are, but you gotta how what you can't just like come out for a drive be like we are now kyle shanahan and then go back like it's gonna be very janky if you're trying to go all the way with it so so i'm I'm extremely interested to see what that integration looks like because you're gonna have to integrate philosophies not concepts right yeah like shanahan oh like you know i buzzword the offense is the play action and this and that 21 personnel what is it about it's about creating horizontal flow and then throwing against it yeah right it's about we want to get the 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 defense moving to one side of the field and we want to create space the other side of the field accordingly Mm -hmm. um and so like horizontal spread is very familiar to philadelphia that's also they like to spread the field very quickly from 53 and a third yard so that philosophy is the same and you can incorporate theories but incorporating the exact concepts does not currently integrate with the way peterson runs the offense that's unless unless dallas goddard is your new juz well that's (laughs) what i'm saying like unless we're we're, listen if you want to put dallas goddard at fullback and get real funky with it dallas goddard's about to set some records for a a receiving back right (laughs) it can be nuts um i would love to see it sprinkled i do not i would not love to see it based yeah Um, i agree yeah so so no i'm I've got the the Wentz Dak conundrum to solve, but hopefully the next thing I'll look into is, man, what 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 anal- what can we find analogous between the West Coast offense because they both run like quote unquote a West Coast offense, the West Coast offense schools. that Shanahan runs. Yeah, well, all it means is we're calling you know Dragon Z flip Y X B insert twelve. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this is all that they both run West Coast, but what what can we find analogous? Where's the overlap between Peterson's offense and Shanahan's, and how can we build right. on that? Right, Ben. That's going to do it for the Kiss and Soul Act show. Well done, man. Say goodbye to the gentle listeners. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Kiss and Soul Act show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. This was episode 183, which featured the best players in the NFC East, non-committal complaints about Dak and Carson Wentz, and me saying Scangarello as many times as I could. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcast. It is the off-season. Um, but we're here to give you all of the off-season Eagles content you can handle and, of course, much more. No matter how long that off-season lasts, no matter how truncated the season gets, we'll be with you the entire ride. So if you like the show, make sure you subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcast. You can find uh, the MGN Radio main show with Brandon Lee Gowan and Jimmy Kemsky on here as well. You can find, uh, I believe, what's John up to? He's doing a review series on past seasons, or is that a written content? I believe that's written content, but he's probably going to turn that into some audio content. Wow, well. imagine reading. Don't do it. Never do it. If you want to <laughs> do it, bleedinggreennation.com. Uh, he's Michael Kist on Twitter, at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. We'll catch you on the flip side. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Yeah.